or so, and a group of us, and just really picking his brains for the wisdom that this guy has got. He's been pioneering in this nation for years, and so it's a real privilege to have him with us, and it's a growing friendship, really. And you know what it's like when you bump into somebody and you think, oh, I don't know you, but I sure know your heart. And uh, Fraser's is a bit like that. So we're just thinking, man, I know your heart. Such a good heart, a lovely, humble heart with a passion to see the glory of God come in the nation. And so that just wins me every time. So it's been a delight to get to know Fraser. And I was so itching to introduce him to you guys uh, because it's a good friendship. It's a new friendship. And I believe God's going to bring lots of fruit through it in the times to come. So could you put your hands together? Let's welcome Fraser. Thanks, Fraser. Morena Tefano, Namahinui Atiatoki Koto Katoa, and Nurera, Nurera Tenakota, Tenakota, Tenakota Katoa. I'm stoked to be here. I'm glad the pulpit's not too tall. I was in England once and they put me behind one of these big Victorian old Wesleyan, you know, podiums, and all you could see is this little guy. <laughs> and uh, finally, some old deer got out of the congregation and came and put a box and so. <laughs> I work through myself. I want to just share some stuff. I, I, in the time, I feel I just need to go straight there. Just tell a little bit of my, my, my own life, Whakapapa's back to a little island called Suki in Papua New Guinea. My mum and dad were pioneer missionaries. My dad was actually an alcoholic who was picked out of the streets in Hamilton, um, scrubbed himself up, went to a Bible school. Um, he met my, um, my mother, who was a squeaky clean Presbyterian. So basically, Dad sung the pub songs. Uh, Mum knew the Presbyterian hymn all backwards and the Bible. And somehow they got together. They went to Papua New Guinea to pioneer. They lived in two different islands for two years. In those days, you weren't allowed to marry uh, until you had two years apart. They got married, raised five kids. Several died in the process at this tiny little island. Um, and I was born into that in this little place there, little place where they saw the dead rise. Um, miracles, all kinds of things took place, uh, little hospitals established. And so I was brought up in that environment of a kind of a, a pioneering background. And um, I grew up there. I'd never seen a, uh, a motor car or a flushing toilet till I came home to New Zealand because I was like a little village boy. And uh, we sat on the side of the road. I remember in Myro Road in Hamilton throwing stones at cars because that's what we used to do with animals, you know, throw sticks and rocks and... The cars would go past, and finally, somebody reported us to the police. So the police would come, and we'd run inside, and Mum and Dad had to explain that though we were white boys, we were actually village boys, and we'd never seen motor cars before, and we are just, you know, throwing stones, as you do at cars. So we, we came home there and um, basically went through challenging times. Uh, my brother ended up in the motorcycle gangs. I kind of went into the surfing rugby scene because we touched something of God in, in the islands there that was just bereft. Uh, but there came a mover spirit in our land called the charismatic movement. The younger ones, he won't know. The oldies, he will say, yes, I understand. And it's basically where the Holy Spirit came and kind of had no respect whether you were a Baptist, a Catholic, or a nobody. And, um, and all of a sudden, the Catholics were, you know, speaking in tongues and, and um, prophecy and things were pouring into the... And it was in the midst of that that my mother ended up with cancer. And it was as a result of her being prayed by this little community of Christians that I found my way back to God. Moved to Palmerston North to get out of the trouble I was in. And in the process of that, we, a little youth group formed, and that grew. And in two years, it was about 200-odd kids 
Again, because there was something of the, the moment the, of the spirit at that stage that was kind of beyond what we could plan. And we didn't know what we were doing. We were just basically young kids. I remember we had this really big, I hope there's not a big deacon around here, had this really big, large deacon. And if anyone started to get prayed for and it looked like they may have demons or something in them, we'd just get the big, fat deacon to sit on them. Um, <laughs> nowadays, it'd be abuse. But anyway, we, we knew no different. We had kids getting saved, families. We'd go drive home in the car. Kids would start crying, give their hearts to the Lord. And it was one of those kind of crazy moments. And out of that, then we started to plant churches and do the stuff and into where we are now, just a, a network of churches. I want to just share something that happened in that time, 35 years ago, and just share to you about the season that I feel, I wonder, that you're about to trip into. Um, about 35 years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm in a dream, and in this dream, I, I'm aware of the, the soil, the dust of this land of a whenua, uh, was, was covering me. And I became aware that it was like a spiritual dust that was covering my kind of body, and it wasn't washing off. And when I woke up, the Holy Spirit started to speak to me about there's a day coming in this land when I'm going to awaken a, 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 a spiritual movement, a spiritual awakening, and it's going to start amongst the whenua, amongst, the, uh, amongst, amongst Māori in this land. It's going to come out of the soil of this land. Until then, he said to me, you're going to have to borrow other moves from other nations, their songs, their theology, their way of doing church, their way of seeing God. But there's come a time when there's going to be something awakened in the soil of your land and that I was to pray for it because when this came, it is a soil, it is a journey of faith, it is an awakening in our land that wouldn't just be washed away because it comes out of the journey of who we are, who, who, who particularly out of, out of Māori and out of, out, out of the journey of this land. And when I heard that, I didn't know what it meant. We had two Māori folk in our church. There was no context for it. We were white. We were kind of middle students, young people. And, uh, and over the years, we started just, I just started praying. I didn't know what it meant. And um, little bit by little bit, one or two Māori would come, and I'd explain to them that their culture was quite demonic. I'd explain to them that, you know, marae shouldn't be places you go to. I explained to them, I even tried to cast out a Māori spirit out of a person. I go, God, help me. But we were totally in this Pentecostal kind of world that didn't understand that actually there's a new day coming. There's a new moment coming in which some of the things that I didn't understand would become the very friends of what I now stand in, the very joy of what I see happening around our land. And so I want to talk a little bit just about that because I do believe not just that, but in a general sense, there is a spiritual awakening that I feel is just starting in our land. Ratana, the Māori prophet, he, 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 he spoke this, and one of the kings, um, king from up in um, Tarangawaiwai spoke this to us. He said, he asked me, why are you interested? Why do you come to Marae? Why do you? And I said, because of my dream. And this is what he said to me. He said, you won't read this in a book. He said, but do you know that um, Ratana prophesied 2018 would start a new awakening amongst Māori in this land? If you go back to the Marae where he was from Ratna, you go in there, there's wheelchairs, there's, um, you know, there's um, sticks where people were healed, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Forgotten in our journey, but I believe there's something being awakened again. So let me just put up this little picture here, and you can turn to Acts 10 if you like. 
What is this? Thank you. C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. It's a story about four children who go from London during the war, and, and, and they go, it's, a, it's just a story, but a story. And they, and they come to the countryside, and in that, one of the kids, one of the children, Lucy, one day is in the cupboard. Oh, this, this is a really quick <laughs> version of it. In a cupboard. And basically what happens is she's in the cupboard and pushes through, and the door opens, trips into a whole new world. There's the white witch. Ooh. You know, there's Aslan, the king. There's kind of all these talking animals and a whole new story, a redemptive story that actually takes place behind that. But they get invi invited into a new season. And she starts to go on, and then finally she comes back and brings others into this journey. And um, it, it's kind of a story. It's a kind of a feel of what I feel for you, not just about the bicultural journey, but... I think where you're positioned as a church. I wonder if you're tripping into kind of a new season. I wonder if this is part of why you're trying to get your you know, tongue around Māori words and stumbling and uh, wondering. And it's beautiful because when we trip into a season, we don't have all the answers. Yeah, true. See, my generation has all the answers for what's been. But you know what the beautiful thing is? We don't have the answers for where we're going. And together there's something that I think we're being invited into by the Holy Spirit in these days yes. to be part of maybe the dream of Ratna and just be the dream of God that would take place. So just let's turn to Acts 10 if we can. Story of Cornelius. Cornelius and um, his household and Peter who gets taken into his household. And you've got to understand that Peter was, as we all know, Peter's one of Jesus' disciples, walked with him for three years. Then the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, walk through the most amazing season of church life. Miracles, expansion, persecution, it is all there. The church was flourishing and growing. There's this whole move that takes place. And yet the gospel gets totally stuck in the Jewish culture. It starts to move a little bit into the Samaritans. It goes towards the Ethiopian eunuch, who's an African. But guess what? It never enters into the Gentile world until Acts chapter 10. How, how can it be that here's this, here's this great leader, been filled with the Holy Spirit, understands the ways of God, and yet... He is part of a community that struggles to trip into a new season because of the challenge of culture, because of the challenge of background, because of the challenge of theology. And he starts to say, let's have a look at Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there lives a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. By the way, I, I want to suggest this, that all around our land... There's devout, God-fearing, God-aware people who as yet aren't in places like this. I think they're waiting. I think they're longing. I think there's a spiritual awareness, a spiritual kind of a, a hunger amongst people that is just growing in our land. And then it says he, he was a devout, God-fearing man. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel coming to him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, the angel he asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God, an offering. 
Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was God, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of the personal attendants, and he told them what had happened. He sent them off to Joppa about 63 kilometers away. Similar time, Peter is also in prayer, another devout man. Perhaps a picture of who we are. The next day is Cornelius messenger. They near the town and, um, and, and Peter went up under the roof and it was about noon when he was praying and he was hungry and while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down, four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds, and then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. <laughs> Horrendous for Peter. Everything about his culture says you don't do that. He's a devout Jew. But God's after something, not food issue. He's after something deeper than this. He's after his inability to walk into the next season because the Gentiles represent everything that he's not allowed to be. If you walked into a Gentile's home according to their law, you are unclean. We'll see that later. That's why the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story, why the priests wouldn't go across the road. Why? Because if they did, they'd have to go back to the temple to get cleansed. But Peter, he's free, supposedly, of all that. He's filled with the Spirit. He's this great leader, and yet he cannot go into the household of the Gentiles, which, by the way, is you and I. Our uncleanness, our culture, our way of doing things. Maybe demons in there, maybe white witches, there may be, whew, let's just go back to what we know. No, Lord, I can't do it, Peter replies. I love this. I've, I, I, I've never um, eaten anything that a Jewish laws have, have declared pure and un, that, that, aren't, that are impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean of God. So made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Three times. Guys, when the Holy Spirit is helping us to move into another season, he keeps speaking. It's really annoying. First time you think, I can sidestep that. Why are we singing these funny songs? Why, why are we, why, why are we? And, and it just keeps annoying us. Until finally we think, oh, maybe I, I, I've got to step into something new. And so three times it says, and then Peter was perplexed. What could the vision mean? Um, whenever we're moving into something new, I remember in the charismatic movement, my, my background was brethren. Brethren love the Lord Jesus. They love the Bible. But you know what? When this new thing came, the moving of the Spirit, I was given tapes to listen to of people speaking in tongues that were of demons, apparently. I used to listen to books. They used to write books about why this thing of the Spirit couldn't be of God. Yet beautiful people loved the Lord, faithful. My mum and dad came out of that background. But when something new happened and the struggle in their hearts to enter into this new season and then to watch this new church start to arise around the nation of, 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 of just thousands starting to be filled with the Holy Spirit and things like speaking in tongues and prophecy and that awakening that took place in them and they were perplexed and wondering, how can it be? Because somehow the scripture says you can't, doesn't it? 
But when you walk through it, all of a sudden, everything in this book's yeah. about the Holy Spirit at work. Yeah. Before that, you can't see it. Before that, it's like you're hidden. You've got the right words, the right theology, the right stance, you're dead inside. And then you see, oh, look what's happening. I, I, I believe we're in that season. I, I, I don't know. I'm just going to share as, as well as I can over this. I'll keep reading this and then I'm going to tell you our story and hopefully just encourage you. Okay, so here he is perplexed. And um, if you're not perplexed somewhere in a new move, it's probably not God. God usually always perplexes us. I'm, I remember as a young guy, I went to a meeting. And um, I'm sitting there like, you guys, you're beautiful, by the way. Just sitting there like that. And, um, and, and the preacher's talking about speaking in tongues. And I'm there and I says, excuse me, I don't need to speak in tongues. He said, oh, said, why is that? He asked me, he says, because God understands my English and um, I understand him and we're on good terms. And the man just said, that's fine, thank you, young man. And he talked, and he started, though, to talk about that it wasn't about tongues, but it was something deeper behind that. Yes. It is about the way.